The Christian faith is based on the, the work, teaching and life of one man, Jesus of Nazareth. And for the first sermon series this year, we wanted to delve into the early chapters of Jesus' life. And I think we often focus a lot on the miracles and conflicts and crucifixions, the healings and things that Jesus did a bit later on because they're very dramatic. They're great events. They make for good TV. But for these few weeks, we're going to look back at the dramatic things that he said to the huge crowds that gathered to hear him speak. I'm not saying he didn't do miraculous things with those crowds, but he certainly uh, had a lot more to say um, before feeding them, all 5,000. You might have heard it talked about as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' manifesto. In many ways, it turns things upside down. Jesus' teaching reveals an alternate way of looking at the world, an alternate way of being and existing. And he invites those who hear him to enter into this alternate way of being by inviting them to enter into the kingdom of God. And this week, I want to bridge a little bit between Christmas and the Sermon on the Mount to kind of bring us up to speed a little bit. What happened in between? Well, the answer, unfortunately, is... We don't know. Well, presumably a fair bit happened in the life of Jesus, but we do know that he visited the temple a couple of times, particularly when he was 12. But after that, there's not a whole lot that we know about. There are a few traditions and extra-biblical things, things we don't consider to be the Bible, that tell all sorts of uh, fanciful sorts of stories, and some of those are quite interesting, but we know what we know about Jesus primarily through the trusted writings of four writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the guys who write the first four books of the New Testament. And these four books follow the events and teachings of Jesus' life. But it might surprise you to know that the Christmas story, with its angels and donkeys and shepherds and wise men and mangers and stars and all that sort of stuff, only appears in two of the books, Matthew and Luke. Mark and John begin with the introduction of a man named John the Baptist. Both uh, Matthew and Luke do get to John the Baptist by about chapter 3. So they all line up and begin with John the Baptist, the forerunner, the prophet. John the Baptist is a pretty famous and powerful figure. He dresses, acts and speaks like an old school, Old Testament prophet. He gathers huge crowds. And at some points, or at one point in particular, people thought that John the Baptist and Jesus were in competition for the most number of converts. Jewish-Roman historian Josephus in the first century mentions John the Baptist. He talks about the crowds and who gathered to hear him and be baptized by him. He also talks about the fact that John the Baptist challenged Herod in his affair with his brother's wife. Herod, there's the son of the King Herod who was the you know, baby killer in Bethlehem at Christmas time. So this is Herod, son of Herod. Uh, starts a relationship with his brother Philip's wife and John the Baptist, as the most famous prophet and preacher in the town, calls him out. And Herod's brother's wife was not very happy about being labelled an adulterer and she twists Herod around her little finger and eventually organised to have John the Baptist's head given to her on a platter, which does not sound very appetising. 
Well, when Jesus hears about John's death, he moves from his hometown of Nazareth, where he'd been begun to preach and teach, uh, and he moves to a lakeside town named Capernaum, uh, up there on the shores of Lake Galilee. Now, to be fair, his message in Nazareth wasn't going that well. There's a, a whole story about the prophet in his hometown not being accepted by those who hear him and being run out of town. So it wasn't going so well for Jesus. So he moves to Capernaum. It's a good move because in Capernaum, his message really strikes home. People get past seeing where he came from and his birth and they begin to see where he's going, the kingdom that is coming. So, in the book of Matthew, it says, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, it says, Jesus picked up where John left off. Change your life. God's kingdom is here. So, this is where we're going to begin our series called Alternate Kingdom. A reminder to get prepared, to change your life. The kingdom is here. And to get us all on the same page, those of you here in the room and those of you joining us at home and everywhere else you are, we're going to break the message into three parts. The kingdom of God is here, repent and be baptized. So let's begin. The kingdom of God is here. So this kingdom of God, this new world order, is the one in which God rules. Right? Simple enough. The ruler makes the rules, or in the USA, they sign executive orders. But obviously, that means that whoever lives in this kingdom of God... Those who join it, those who call it theirs, will reflect the nature and characteristics of the ruler, of God. They'll reflect the values of heaven. That makes sense. And for hundreds, of thousands of, uh, for hundreds and thousands of years, the people of God believed in the coming of a chosen one, a ruler, a messiah, a Christ, a king of kings who would unite them, who would arrive on the scene, conquer the world, and all of the rulers of the world would bow down to him and he would change all the laws and everything and he would create and make a kingdom of God. John the Baptist was so popular that some thought that he might be the chosen one, the Messiah. But John was very, very clear. He identifies himself as the forerunner, the one who builds a foundation for the true king of kings who would come after him. And he said it was going to be soon. When all these people who heard John speak, when they heard him talk about the coming of the Messiah, when he talked about the coming of the King of Kings, the one who he was the prophet of and who would be coming soon, they were convinced of two things. First of all, they were convinced that John was right. They were convinced that the kingdom of God really was coming soon. They were convinced that the Messiah really was on his way. The second thing they were convinced of, though, is interesting. They were convinced that while John was right, they weren't. They weren't right. They weren't ready. They weren't acceptable. They were impure. They weren't worthy. They weren't reflecting truly the values of heaven. They weren't reflecting the nature and characteristics of God. In short, John was right and they weren't right. They were challenged because they didn't feel like they reflected the true nature of this kingdom of God. And when John talked about the coming of the kingdom, they were worried that they wouldn't be able to be a part of it. 
They wanted all the blessings and all the good things that would come and flow from this kingdom. But they weren't sure they were ready. They weren't sure they were good enough. So they repented, confessed their sins and got baptized, ready to take their place in the new world order to be established by the coming King of Kings. And my first question then this morning for us all to think about is this. How prepared are you? How ready are you? How well do you think you would fit into a kingdom that reflects the nature and characteristics of God? How well do you think that you truly reflect the values of heaven? So let's talk about repentance. What is repentance? Well, my um, cobbled together very quick and easy definition for repentance is Repentance is genuine self-reflection that results in different thinking, that results in different patterns of behavior. So those who, who saw John the Baptist and heard him speak, took stock of their lives, thought through all of the ways in which they failed to measure up, all their faults and failings, and they confessed them, honestly. They owned up. And then John would baptize them, purifying them in a symbolic way, as a sign that their repentance was genuine. There was a group that saw what was going on, as we read earlier. They saw the crowds being baptized by John. They saw that it was the thing to do. They, they knew that they wanted to be part of this new kingdom as well. They didn't want to miss out and they wanted to be baptized too, but they didn't repent. They didn't reflect. They didn't reveal and reorient themselves. They fooled themselves, decided to try and get baptized, get their ticket, get it sorted, check it off the list. But they didn't fool John. He got stuck into them, being ignorant and hypocritical. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. So the, the, the point here is that we, we have to be true to ourselves or repentance is meaningless. If you present a mask to gain God's forgiveness in some way, then the mask will get God's forgiveness. It is only when you are true to yourself and present your true self to God will you be able to receive God's forgiveness. So the first question this morning was, how well do you reflect the kingdom of heaven? The second question is, are you being true to yourself? I wonder if in preparation for this series in the coming year that we might together consider the ancient prayer of King David from 3,000 years ago, but which is so powerful today. Psalm 139, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The kingdom of God is here. Repent and be baptized. Now let's talk about baptism. It's a controversial topic. 
Because the Salvation Army, we don't generally do water baptism like most other Christian traditions. So we're going to explore it for a little bit. Baptism is a sign of the acceptance of God. John baptized those who were genuinely repentant. He baptized them with water. It's great. But here's what he says to the crowd. As he preached, he said, the real action comes next. The star in this drama, to whom I am a mere stagehand, will change your life. I'm baptizing you here in the river, turning your old life in for a kingdom life. His baptism, a holy baptism by the Holy Spirit, will change you from the inside out. So John says clearly that when Jesus comes, there will be a spiritual baptism which is far more important than what he is doing. First thing to note here, though, is that while John's water baptism is only offered to those who, who demonstrated that their repentance was genuine, those who showed fruit, those who already could show that their lives reflected the values of the kingdom of God. That's how John's baptism works. But the spiritual baptism offered by Jesus is upside down. It's alternate. The acceptance is already offered by Jesus. And that comes with spiritual baptism first. And it changes you then from the inside out. In the old world order, you needed to reflect the values of the kingdom before entering it. But in Jesus' new world order, you need to enter in order to truly reflect it. So what does their spiritual baptism look like? What does it involve? Well, the most powerful example of spiritual baptism is the spiritual baptism recorded by Jesus. Just after the story of John the Baptist uh, that we, we read just a minute ago, Jesus arrives. <laughs> Jesus asks to be baptized, which John does after arguing with Jesus a little bit about whether or not he's worthy to baptize Jesus. But for the first time, this baptism is different. The moment Jesus came up out of the baptismal waters, the skies opened up and he saw God's Spirit. It looked like a dove descending and landing on him and along with the Spirit, a voice. This is my son, chosen and marked by my love, delight of my life. And here's something interesting though, right? Jesus is the son of God, the word in flesh. The word who was with God in the beginning, who was God in the beginning. Who has coexisted with the Holy Spirit from before all time. So what's this about? This baptism is an example, a perfect example, of the same spiritual baptism available to all of us. Each of us are children of God, sons and daughters of the Most High. God loves and accepts each of us. To each of us, God says, you are my child, chosen and marked by my love and delight of my life. Jesus' spiritual baptism is the same spiritual baptism offered to us. 
This is just one of the ways in which Jesus was the author and perfecter of our faith. The eighth doctrine of the Salvation Army says, we believe that we are justified by grace through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, and that he that believeth hath the witness in himself. This inner witness of the Holy, is, is the Holy Spirit telling us the truth about ourselves and about God. This is the Holy Spirit within us saying we are sons and daughters of God. God, the Holy Spirit, in our doctrine states, continually whispers deep in our souls, we are children of God. So, so far this morning, I've given you two questions and one more to come. First question is, how well do you reflect the kingdom of values of the kingdom of heaven? And the second is, in that assessment, are you being true to yourself? And the third is, have you been spiritually baptized? Now, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not saying that, that everyone is going to see heaven open and the Spirit of God descend like a dove, although that'd be cool, but spiritual baptism is available. That inner witness is real and is available. Some people might call it a, a spiritual awakening. But do you know deep in your soul, that God says to you, you are my child, chosen and marked by my love, the light of my life. My prayer is that everyone who hears this message may have that spiritual presence in their lives. That spiritual presence that continually bears witness to God's love and acceptance for you. I pray that everyone who hears this message would have the daily spiritual reassurance, hourly spiritual reassurance, minute by minute, second by second, moment by moment, reassurance that you are chosen by God and loved by God. Because you see, it is through this continual inner witness of the Spirit that repentance becomes easier. It becomes easier to be honest with ourselves. We gain strength of heart and mind to recognize and deal with the faults and failings that we see in ourselves. It becomes easier to pray that prayer of David from Psalm 139, Search me and know me. And then, it is through this continual inner witness of the Spirit that we grow more and more into model kingdom citizens. With the strength to face adversity, the courage to attempt vulnerability, the strength to offer forgiveness, and the ability to love more and more fully in the face of all of life's circumstances. It is in this way that the kingdom of God will slowly but surely grow until the love of God has truly conquered the whole earth in victory. God bless you.
May you know his spirit.